We've all seen the incredible horse and rider combinations as the backbone of our sport. But what about everything else that makes the equestrian world tick? From the everyday grind to the world-class professional, join the Equestrian Podcast as we talk about every equestrian discipline in a way that hasn't been done before. Now here's your host, rider, trainer, and influencer behind my equestrian style, Bethany Lee. Hello, friends. Welcome back to the Equestrian Podcast. I am your host, Bethany Lee, and this is episode 61. Our guest today is the owner of The Tried Equestrian, which is an online consignment shop for equestrians with really, really great taste and high-end clothing, but for a fraction of the cost. So here to talk about how she makes that magic happen at The Tried Equestrian, here is your guest today, Taylor Hall. Well, I would love to hear. I've been a big time fan of Tried Equestrian for some time now. Um, I love your entire operation. So would love to hear about how you first got into the equestrian world and what that looked like for you. Yeah. Well, first off, thank you for being a consigner. Um, We love having you. Um, You always send just the cutest stuff, obviously. Um, I first got into the equestrian world when I was really little, um, probably like everyone else. I wanted to ride from probably the time I was four, um, finally started riding when I was seven, um, grew up showing, um, ended up going to, uh, Fresno state on an equestrian scholarship. Wasn't on the team very long. Um, but I had, you know, it was good experience, kept showing a little bit through college. Um, and then I actually had originally planned to be an equine veterinarian. Um, So I was pre-vet, was my undergrad. And after working in a vet office, I kind of just decided I loved the business side of that job much more than the actual medical practice of it. Um, So felt a little lost um, after college, did a bunch of different jobs, actually ended up as an account manager for a marketing company in the movie studios. And we worked with our um, accounts for a lot of like the major movie studios. It was a great job. I learned so much. Um, but it just didn't really feel like what I was passionate about. Um, so I was really looking for something that I could relate back to, you know, my horse girl days. It's where I wanted to be. That's what I'm passionate about. Um, so I really kind of just started looking for things that I thought were missing. And I really did feel that there was a, no, there was nowhere really organized that had really nice consignment items for sale. Um, and so I really, I started that. Um, and so I was doing actually both for a long time. Um, and eventually I think in 2018 started doing this full time, but that's kind of how this started. Amazing. That's so cool. And it's definitely something that, um, I grew up with riding and wanted to, um, you know, like look cute, you know, like have, have nice stuff, but just either couldn't afford it or didn't want to pay the top dollar price point because I wanted to save money for shows. And I wanted, you know, I had to buy this and that for my horse. And I think, um, I think we've talked about this before, but you find that equestrians and especially like in the adult amateur realm, um, the priority goes to the horse for sure. hundred percent. And it should, that's how it should be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And so you are left with a little to no budget for, and especially for us who fashion is a priority and, and having different clothing that you can um, do to kind of represent that package when you are showing, um, you kind of 
bridged that gap and allowed people to uh, be able to wear some really nice brands at super affordable prices. Um, so how did that first pop into your head as far as you wanting to start Try to Equestrian? And what did kind of the beginning stages look like for your business? So I think one of the most memorable things, I think where it was kind of the seed planted, I, I'd gone off to college um, when I was went off in 2008. And at that time, I'm sure you remember um, a lot of, I mean, you were, I know you're a little bit younger than me, but a lot of the clothes from back then were tailored sportsmen that didn't stretch show shirts that had a rat catcher, which for anyone that's listening that doesn't know, it's a separate piece of fabric that would go over your neck. Um, and if you lost it, you usually got two, but if you lost both, you couldn't wear that shirt anymore, Yeah, <laughs> which was so crazy. There was no wrap collars and um, nothing stretched. Everything was dry clean, even the breeches. Um, so when I was going off to college, it was kind of transitioning. Like we were starting to get stretchy pants, but still in that kind of weird green color. Mm-hmm. Um, I, we were just even starting, I think I'd only for a couple years had boots that zipped and I came home from college, hadn't been doing a ton of writing, wasn't really like looking into what, you know, was changing in regards to the fashion. My little sister, who's 10 years younger than me, um, went to watch her at a show. She had on what now is so normal, the Essex talent yarn quarter button down shirt that's stretchy with mesh under it, stretchy jacket, she had on, you know, the light colored tailored sportsman's. And I looked at my mom and was like, what is she wearing? Like, what is this? Like, and my mom was like, no, 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 Taylor, you just, you haven't gone to a store recently. Like this is what everyone wears now. And I was like, okay, like this looks super weird, but I guess everyone else is wearing this and went in and started shopping for new stuff and couldn't believe how expensive it had gotten. I think that's what kind of blew me away. I was like, okay, this stuff is amazing, but it seems like everything's gone up so much. And now it's, you know, there was so much more to have. Um, I it was, it was expensive when we were younger. It just got more expensive. I, I remember I think being so. at a show yeah. and being like, <laughs> I had, I think I ended up randomly like entering a classic and I didn't bring white pants with me. So my dad like went with me to a tax store and I got a pair of white tailored sportsman pants. And I remember being like, it being a big deal. And I think they were like $120. And yes. no, it's like, if you could find a pair of breeches, like that'd be, that'd a, be a amazing. Good deal. Yeah. <laughs> that was the same thing. I think I had one pair of tailored sportsman's and everything else I had was like Ariat, very, you know, base, like mm-hmm. nice yeah. stuff, but you know, that was like my show stuff. Totally. Um, but yeah, no, it's, it's crazy. And I think that's part of it too, is as a kid, like you were saying, you learn that it's different. Like there's mm-hmm. something different. You learn that it's expensive, even if you don't, necessarily know like what, how it's that different, but it's not like soccer. And yeah, parents are always like, what, how much, what, why, what is this? And so I think it's always just been in the back of my mind. Um, and so when that kind of happened, I started seeing how expensive it was realizing I needed to get new things and then not really sure what to do with my older items. I kind of just started this like snowball effect, um, that turned into the try to question, which you, probably didn't even know me when I had originally started, but it was actually initially a selling platform like an eBay where we had set it up that people could go in and list their items for sale, which we pivoted after I think about eight months to a year when I realized people wanted their items listed for them. And also mm-hmm. it was easier for us to control how the pictures looked, sure. how things were being priced, but that's actually how it originally started. Okay. Smart. Yeah. Um, at what point 
did you realize that you had to make that pivot? I realized it when I was taking on, obviously, if it's a selling platform, the commission rate would be really, really low as compared to if we're doing all the work on our end. Um, And, you know, the customer then it still has the item, they would be shipping it out, all of that. Um, So we realized it when I was taking in so many items from so many people where I would say more than 50% of the website was items that I had taken in for people and was posting just so we had things on there. Gotcha. And when I would tell people about it, they'd kind of be like, oh yeah, such a good idea. I just never have the time to do it. Mm -hmm. And I'd be like, you know, okay, well, let me take it in and I'll do it for you. Uh And so I finally was just like, I think that this is the way that it has to be. Yeah. That needs to be the actual model instead of you just doing it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It sounded like such a, you know, great way to do it originally. I was like, you know, I can kind of manage this from everywhere, you know, Mm -hmm. they can, you know, but that's not how it worked out. So Cool. And then yeah. once you started, uh, once you started doing this and you were also, you also had another job, you said in 2018, you, uh, made it your full-time position. Yes. Okay. Yeah. How was that transition? Um, there was a lot of really ugly crying, I would say, <laughs> where it just hit a point where I was working 12 hour days at my other job yeah. and would sneak home. It was a really demanding job. Um, but I would just sneak home at lunch and that's when I would package up items that it sold. I would, you know, really quick wake up in the morning and try to take an Instagram picture for Instagram, try to be like on a phone with a client while like emailing back at my job, you know, one of our customers there while emailing back really quick, a customer on my phone about the tried equestrian. Mm -hmm. Um, and it was, it was a lot smaller than it is now, but still it it just got to a point where, and you know, every single item has to be processed individually, um, priced, photographed, put up on the website. Um, and I finally just got to a point where I was like, I can't do this anymore. Um, and I finally was just, this is the decision I have to make. It actually was a Friday I had taken off of work to actually go help down at um, Compton Junior Posse, get a lot of their kids dressed. And I was so excited to do it. I'd had it planned for weeks, let all of my customers at my other job know I was going to be gone. And I don't know what happened that day, but it was one of those days where everyone needed my help. No one else in the office could help them. Wow. And so I ended up, you know, giving thumbs up, thumbs downs as I'm helping dress the kids at Mm. Compton Junior Posse. And I had one of those moments where like kind of everything went silent. And I just remember thinking, this is what I want to do. I want to help these kids. I don't want to be on the phone all the time dealing with um, movie industry stuff. And actually on Monday then went and put in my two weeks notice. Wow. And that's when, and so it was one of those scary things, like you might be making the worst decision of your life, but you'll probably regret it if you don't. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Yeah. To at least give it a try. And, um, you know, if you didn't, that you would probably continue to look back at that moment and be like, should I have yeah. done that? You probably would have yeah. always wondered. Um, I think I would have. Yeah. Obviously it was a great decision um, because I'm sure while you are still super swamped, <laughs> yeah. I think that having the freedom now is probably extremely rewarding and having something of your own. Definitely. And I think, um, you know, it definitely did not give me less 12 hour days. I think I still do just as many. Uh Um, but it gives me that time to invest it all back in the tried equestrian and, you know, all of my energy can be in one place, not so spread out. Yeah. 
Absolutely. What, uh, tell me a little bit about the process. I want to hear kind of the behind the scenes um, from when, let's say I send you a box of stuff and how kind of take it from there as far as how it goes up or what you do with the pieces and, and how it gets incorporated into the tried equestrian. Yeah. So everything that comes in for the most part, there's very few items that don't go and get cleaned just again. Even if the items come in perfectly clean in transit, they just get wrinkled. Um, and so basically what we do, every single single item is initially marked with say it was your items, Bethany Lee. So we would know all of these items are yours. We have a coding system and tagging system that separates your items from everybody else. Those items will then for the most part go get laundered. Um, when they're done, they come back. Um, we now actually have a couple girls that help with this process. Um, but they will then go down to be put into our system where their descriptions are given. Um, we determine pricing, which there is a pretty standard way we price. Um, say the retail is a hundred dollars. Something's new with tags. We usually do it 30% off. If something is in excellent condition, it's probably going to be 35 to 40% off. And then if something is more used or has any sort of flaws, it'll be usually 50%. And then we go from there. Um, some things to take into account that some people don't really think of. If items are already on sale online somewhere else, we do have to take that into account when we're pricing the item. And um, so say like on Dover or something, you know, if the item's less, we're going to price it less. Um, also just after doing this for so long, we do know certain items are a lot more valuable than other items to people. They'll move quicker than other items. And our goal is we really want to get our consigners their money within a month. That's our biggest goal right now. We really want your items to sell within a month. And so we do want to price them at the highest point that they're also going to move quickly. So, um, but so they'll get priced. They then, um, get their tag. Every single item in our store has its own SKU. So every single item, if you ever um, happen to purchase something from us or, you know, at our store, they all start with a letter code that actually corresponds back to whoever the consigner is. Um, So all that gets entered into this amazing database we have that um, I know, you know, Karina Harris, Uh who um, her dad actually built our database for us. No way. Yes. So it's all custom. It's I don't know how we would live without it. Wow. Um, so so cool. thank you, Kevin. He's probably not listening to this, but <laughs> go Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> so it all goes into there to keep it super organized. So I can pull all different consigner information. Um, but then it goes out to be photographed. And we have another girl who super um, techie has her iPhone and, uh, you know, takes the pictures. But I swear these girls are getting so good with their phones. We uh, spend a lot of time figuring out how to do editing on iPhones. And we do like little workshops and classes on how to do it perfectly. Um, We actually found iPhones were better than an actual camera because there's so much training that goes behind using a camera, Mm -hmm. um, making sure the settings are right. And so it's a lot easier to train people on an iPhone than a camera. Yeah. So we just use an iPhone. Um, and then once those photos, um, are done, um, we usually do photos, uh, three days a week. Um, usually we get up about 200. We're hoping to get up 250 a week. That's our goal now. Um, but then those items actually get sent off somewhere overseas, I forget where the team's in. And then all the backgrounds are edited out 
they're sent back to us. And then I'm the one that does the final approval. I put everything up online, make sure descriptions are correct. It's really difficult when nothing comes with tags. You really have to, I mean, we match up where belt loops are, Mm -hmm. where logos might be, where pockets are to really determine, you know, what style of breaches each are. Cause each brand has so many different styles. Yeah. Um, so making sure that the styles are correct, sizing's correct, and that I agree with how we're pricing the item. And then they're launched. And then um, from there, you know, they're up on our website and anyone can look at them. Cool. And then do you do all of the shipping in-house? We do. I have um, somebody else actually also helps with shipping. It's been a little bit um, during this entire quarantine. That's actually been one of the toughest things. An interesting thing actually about our store. So where I live It's actually a three-story home and the bottom floor is set up as retail space for that's the way our community was built. So um, one floor is retail space, two floors above our living space. So we've been able to continue operations or I have even with the shutdown because it's, you know, attached to my home, but it's a lot of, you know, we were not working together at all. So it was um, mostly me doing everything for a couple months. Wow. Um, But yeah, but at least it's still, we got to keep going. So yeah. Yeah, definitely. This episode is so graciously brought to you by Redding Goat Equestrian. Redding Goat Equestrian created outerwear pieces that are waterproof, breathable, and insulated in one technical piece. Yes, top and bottom in one piece. That is perfect whether you're riding in sub-zero temperatures or in a monsoon of rain. And let's be honest, I'm a Floridian and I still wear it during our Florida winters. It is amazing. They also have tons of pockets and pouches to stash your keys, your phone, spurs, you name it. And it also has a beautiful silhouette, so it doesn't look super bulky. You need to see this for yourself. So head on over to Redding Goat Equestrian. That's R-E-D-I-N-G-O-T-E equestrian.com. And you can check out for yourself. See their winter insulated gear as well as their rain gear. Also, be sure to use the code podcast and you'll receive a free tote with any purchase of a suit. Thanks so much, Redding Goat Equestrian. All right, let's head on back to the episode. How would you describe your donation process? Because I know there's a donation element. Mm-hmm. Um, you can't physically take all of the items that get sent to you. And you have a specific you know, code of what you put up. Can you tell me a little bit about that process? Yeah. So that is part of when we're initially looking through all of the items and um, putting up descriptions and pricing, we really inspect every single thing and, um, to look for any flaws. Obviously, we do take used items. So items are going to have flaws. Um, some of the major things we look for that are kind of unnoticeable if you're not looking for them is the thinness of breaches. They get very, very thin. And so there's not a ton of life in them after, you know, if we sell them to somebody else. Um, but by looking at them, they might look perfect, but when Mm -hmm. you touch them, they're really thin. So that's kind of one of the major things we look for. Um, any holes, a lot of times they happen in the seams where you might not even notice them until you put them on. But for certain things like that, um, maybe even some staining, we, a lot of those items will get donated. And with that, uh, donation process, we'll either, we have a bunch of different partner organizations and nonprofits we work with we have great connection with all of them and we just communicate with them. What are they actually looking for? So we have a therapeutic riding center that for them getting in a lot of show clothing isn't super helpful. Um, they don't have horse shows, so they need more schooling items. 
um, and tops, sun shirts. Um, we do also work with the writer's closet, which I know you had Georgina Bloomberg on here. And so we work with them to find out, you know, what are you in need of right now? And so sometimes it's been, they need show shirts. Um, they need, you know, larger women's size show jackets. Um, so we try to get those items to them. Um, and also finding out what their pickiness is of accepting, you know, some of them have the same requirements we have for what they'll accept. And then an interesting thing that we offer that I don't think a ton of people know is you can, if you are someone that does like to donate your items to these nonprofits and organizations, you can actually give your items to us to sell on behalf of whatever organization or nonprofit you choose. Whereas, and we will send all of your sales to that nonprofit. Um, the same way we would just send it to a normal consigner. Um, so for example, if you have an Equiline jacket and you always work with a therapeutic writing center, they may not have a ton of use for that jacket. And it's a really valuable item. And so pr- based off of what we would sell that item for, the organization would actually be benefiting and getting a $240 check just for that one jacket, which is a huge um, help for feeding horses, subsidizing their lesson programs and all the other wonderful stuff they do. I I encourage people reach out to the organizations that you donate to and find out what's more helpful to them at that time or what, you know, donate the items they're looking for and maybe consider selling the rest on behalf of them. That is, that is really, really cool. And something that I, yeah, didn't know fully about the tried equestrian, but it's, it's really neat too, that you have taken the time to, you receive something and then you can make it so that the receiver is, is getting what they really need, which sometimes is the extra cash for um, their program or, or their property. So I think that's a pretty amazing aspect of the tried equestrian. What would you say are some of the most rewarding parts of your job and some of the most challenging? I would say the most rewarding uh, parts of my job, I love having someone come in where the sport maybe isn't as accessible to them as it is other people, but God bless their parents and, you know, whoever's helping them or, you know, if they're an adult, they're making it work. Yeah. Um, and they come in and we can help get them dressed in nicer clothes than they ever thought they would be able to get for something that they're comfortable spending and them just leaving being like, I can't thank you enough. Like I assumed, you know, a lot of people have this, uh, assumption that consignment tax stores are going to be just covered in dust and, you know, those old tailored sportsman breeches. And so when they come in and they're like, oh my gosh, this is the jacket I saw so-and-so in. Like, what? And, um, you know, we help them, you know, get dressed and they feel so confident. And um, a lot of them are, you know, usually like writers starting out. And so just knowing that, like, even if it's a tiny little aspect of it, but they step in the ring with that much more confidence um, I mean, right now I'm actually getting goosebumps from it. That's yeah. hands down the most rewarding part of my job. So cool. So, probably one of the more challenging aspects. I'm extremely hard on myself. So I have, I go through, you know, every little thing that happens to me is like, we got to, you know, it's a low for me and we have to figure it out. And so, um, anytime, you know, a customer, you know, it's only happened a handful full of times, but if it didn't come in the way they were expecting, um, if one of our descriptions was off, um, 
it's, it, you know, for me, I always think of it as like an opportunity. Like, I'm so glad this was brought to our attention. We need to fix this and come up with a new system for how this is done. Maybe it needs to go through uh, another check before it goes up online. That to me is always, you know, that's a challenge. We're selling used items. So, you know, everything, there's going to be occasionally things that are missed. Um, but, you know, just constantly tweaking how we do things, um, getting back to customers in as timely a manner as we can, making sure our consigners totally know where their items are. They feel confident that we're doing our best job to sell them. They don't feel like there's any um, lack of communication on their end. Um, and so just making sure that everyone feels that it's very transparent, that we're here to help you if there are any issues along the way. Um, and so I think that's, um, I think that's the area where, um, thankfully we haven't had too many problems with it, but it's what I've, I'm always very concerned about making sure is, you know, up to par, you know, across the board all the time. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a really good point. And it's something that you can put all the steps in place and all the checks and have the best intentions. And, um, and I'm sure it can be discouraging at times because, uh, you know, people don't always know your, uh, that this is like your heart and soul and something that yes. really is a passion of yours and something you're working really hard towards uh, yeah. being as perfect and smooth as possible. So I'm yeah. sure that can be a challenge. Yeah. So I'm always, yeah. So I always want to be like, it's just me over here. Like (laughs) I want to make it right. So yeah. Yeah, definitely. What would you say is an area of the industry that you are particularly passionate about that you feel like the rest of the industry either doesn't know a lot about or doesn't really talk a lot about? I don't know if it's not talked about. I think it's actually a really topical conversation right now. Um, but it's definitely the aspect that I'm most passionate about is just the accessibility of the sport. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that my take might be a little bit different. Um, growing up, like we were talking about, you really quickly learn. I think everyone does that. It's an expensive sport. I had friends who were just as passionate about riding as me. And, you know, you go in, you do two lessons a week, then you're leasing a horse then you're doing horse shows and they want you to buy a horse. And so some parents at a point just go, we can't do this. Like, let's go check out volleyball, you know? So that was always just so disappointing to me because the barn was always my sanctuary growing up. It was my meditation. Um, So that was kind of just a little bit of a bummer. I kind of started, you know, seeing that when I was young. So when I was about 20, I think I actually was on a plane ride and I must've been super bored. I started reading the in-flight uh, magazine. So had obviously nothing else to do. Um, but there was actually an article about, uh, work to ride, which is a polo organization in Philadelphia that helps at risk youth learn to ride polo. And, uh, it's run by someone named Leslie Heiner. Um, they, in 2011, they actually won the national inner scholastic championships. Um, she was kind of like a tough love type of person. And it was, you know, you have to maintain your grades be here at dawn. Um, you're going to take care of the horses. You're going to do all of this if you want a chance to ride. Um, and basically all of these kids went on to just excel at this sport to the point that they were beating everyone, the people that had, you know, every opportunity in the world afforded to them to do it. Reading it, I, I just, I think I almost started crying on the plane because I just couldn't believe 
it, to me, it just solidified, like, it doesn't matter who you are. This is important. This sport is important. Mm -hmm. Um, it teaches you a lot of important things up almost a ton of these kids went on, obviously, you know, there's stories that aren't as successful. And then so many that are, and these kids went on, didn't know what options they had. And a lot of them ended up like one girl ended up at Cornell. Um, she's the captain of the team there. Amazing. Um, a lot of them ended up having just great careers going to amazing colleges. And so I, you know, I think that writing is just one of those sports. You can learn so much from it just in daily life in, um, just, you have to learn patience. You have to learn patience, but you also have to learn hard work. You have to, you literally learn, uh, you have, when you fall off, get back on. That is an actual real life lesson. It's not just a saying. Um, and so I read that article and I knew that's what I wanted to do. Um, and so I actually ended up, um, finding Compton junior posse, which is unfortunately not an organization, um, in the same sense it was, um, a few years ago, the founder actually retired. Um, but their motto is keep kids on horses and off the streets. Mm -hmm. And so I volunteered with them for a long time and worked with them. And they were actually, um, probably one of my major driving forces in starting the tried equestrian, um, just in the sense of, I wanted, I needed to come up with a way to in some way make this sport, even if it's not a lot, make it more accessible and hopefully one day be able to be a bigger force in kids' lives like that. It's, I would love to do that. Um, and so, yeah. Amazing. That is so cool. And it's, I'm so proud of you and how you have turned, you know, something, um, that was super passionate, um, about and then you could create this huge business that not only is self-sustaining for you but it's also makes a huge impact for other people both on the receiving end and um, on the donating end so I think it the tried equestrian is so incredible such a big fan as I always say and um, I just wanted to wish you all the best all right, that is all I have for you today. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you liked what you heard, please take a minute and write a review on iTunes. I would so appreciate it. It helps people like you find the podcast and it helps me get some killer guests. Thank you so much and I will talk to you next week.